you're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo-development, and everything in between. Hey there, welcome to The Bounding Box. And today I'm joined by a special guest here, Tim Purdom. My name's Purdom, right? I need to double check that. Yeah, Tim Purdom. So Tim, why don't you tell us about yourself, who you are, what you do, what's your problem? Sure. Uh, well, you got my name right, Renee, so thank you. Uh, I am a software developer and uh, engineering manager at the company Dymaptic, which is an Esri partner and does a lot with GIS software and contract work for government agencies, uh, nonprofits, all of that. Um, let's see. The strangest thing about me is that I was a music teacher for most of my adult life and then switched careers and became a software developer. No way. So, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was always my, you know, my hobby was computers. And then I figured out a way to switch gears and make my hobby into my full-time career. And uh, my problem is probably that I love coding so much that it's hard to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. Right? There's always something new you can uh, dabble into, figure out, learn something, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, the music teacher uh, is amazing because uh, my first uh, attempt at a major in school when I was like 18 or so, maybe 19, I can't remember anymore, was music. And okay. when I when I got into it, I was told at some point, it's like, okay, you're, you're at the point now you have to pick an instrument. You have to pick something. So <laughs> I went percussion. Right. Right? I did percussion there. Like, yeah. I, my piano wasn't great. I was okay. Uh, my um, string instruments were pretty poor. And so they're like, okay, let's go with percussion. And that was fine for a while. But then uh, at one point, you know, I was, was going to be a lifer in school. My, my goal was to spend my entire <laughs> life just in school and living the dream, right? But eventually, uh, was like, okay, I need to uh, get a job. <laughs> I need to start making some money uh, at some right. point. So I had to switch uh, careers and stuff, or switch uh, majors and everything. But yeah, that's great. I love that. I, I still like to dabble in some music stuff uh, here and there every now and then. Not really making anything useful, but um, like web audio and stuff like that, I think is really cool. I don't know if sure. you've played around any of those uh, libraries that are out there and stuff, uh, but there's some really cool a little things. Bit. Yeah, yeah, I've I've done a little bit. Actually, with that, the first thing, as I was switching gears, is I was making websites and apps for other music teachers. So oh. I was doing like interactive, like actually with music notation, where you could drag and drop the notation for the kids. That is very I cool. Could click a button, and it would play back what they had written, and. That is neat because a lot yeah. of stuff you see out there is pretty much just like, you know, it like, you know, the key, you pick A, B, or F, but they don't really use music notation. It's not the ones I've seen. And I think that's really useful. My, my daughter um, actually did the intro for this podcast. She made that for me. So I think that's really cool of actually like enforcing those concepts in your apps and stuff. That's neat. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it gave me a chance to, you know, when I made the transition, I actually saved up some money and tried to go out and make a business out of that. And of course, music teachers don't have any money. So that was <laughs> a challenging right. place to start, but it gave me some time to hone my development skills and, you know, something to work toward. Oh, that's great. I love that. I really dig that. I think that's a lot of fun. It's nice to have um, interest outside of just like coding or development in some way, right? Something else that you could yeah. uh, have fun with, which is really cool. For sure. 
Now at Dimaptic, can you go and tell me a little bit about what you've been working on? I I I know the uh, owners Dimaptic know them for a while now and stuff, different conferences mm-hmm. and uh, whatnot. But tell us a bit about what you're doing, Dimaptic. I think it's really cool. I, I've I've dug into some of your stuff you guys have out there, the public stuff that you guys have available, sure. uh, which I think is neat. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, like you said, it's not all public. We do have you know customers who we've got you know whatever types of contracts where we can't (laughs) discuss everything. But um, I do a lot of primarily .NET web development uh, using the new Blazor front end um, technology that Microsoft's had out for maybe four years now. Yeah, it's been a while. Somewhere around that. Um, And so I use that for our customers, but I also, they took me to the Esri Dev Summit last year, which I know is coming up again here in a couple of weeks. And I was looking at all of the stuff, you know, for .NET that was the runtime and the SDK and the pro SDK and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but that's all desktop. And then I, and I'm kind of interested in the web. And then I'm looking at the web stuff and it's all JavaScript and there's nothing wrong with JavaScript. <laughs> uh, it's come a long ways, like like most languages have. It's evolved a lot over the years, but it's not my my primary uh, passion. Yeah. So I realized, well, wait a second, but this, but Blazor can wrap any JavaScript call and and call it from C Sharp. And so when I had that thought in my head, I started actually at the conference last year, uh, mocking out what became GeoBlazor, which is our Blazor SDK that's built on top of the ArcGIS JavaScript that I know you work on. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. So let me tell you, we, we were getting a lot of questions about Blazor and I really had no solution for them because I hadn't used it um, I haven't, I used .NET a lot, like up until about maybe, mm-hmm. gosh, six, seven years ago or so. And I just haven't really bothered with this. So I wasn't familiar with how to use it. I tried, I couldn't get nothing working. So when you guys got GeoBlazor out, um, I could, it was something I could direct people to because yeah. we kept getting asked about it. And it was like, well, I don't have a solution for you. I'm sorry, I don't know. But if you come up with something, let me know. <laughs> it was always my... <laughs> My response, right? So now that there's something right. to point people to, it's really cool. It's how, tell us about how that works. Like, why why is Blazor cool? What makes Blazor interesting for developers? Sure. I mean, the first thing is the kind of the full stack single language appeal of I can take a developer who knows C sharp and they can write in everything from the entity framework, you know, database queries all the way to the UI. Uh, and, you know, yes, they still have to learn HTML and CSS because those are still the design languages in Blazor, just like they are for a JavaScript developer. But um, but they don't have to make that programming language jump from C Sharp to mm-hmm. JavaScript. Um, and then, of course, you know, that means you can do things like shared uh, data structures in code, you know, between server and client and and all these different things. You don't have to deal with serialization and as much and, and you know, matching types and all of that. Uh, so I think that's one of the big appeals of Blazor is kind of that full stack development. Um, of course, 
then you could get into like, well, what are the advantages of C sharp over JavaScript? And yeah, <laughs> you could throw TypeScript somewhere in the middle of the two and, and say, well, that probably solves a lot of the same problems. As and that's a whole interesting conversation there too, because like um, developers today are just getting into this. They're seeing these like problems. Like, you know, I'm, I'm creating something on the server and I need to serialize it on the client. There's this, um, various solutions for that. GraphQL has like, um, you can generate types from your GraphQL and it looks like you're not serializing stuff in the client, right? I mean, you really are, but you don't know it. Um, the same goes for like a TRPC, right? So TRPC is like the latest uh, thing for web developers now where it can, it's, but it's way cooler. TRPC I actually dig a lot more because what it'll do is it will take your types in your server code and it uses a proxy wrapper to generate a client code that matches your type. So everything is type safe and it looks like you're using stuff directly from the server when you're really not, which is, is fun. It's cool and stuff like that. But if you really take a big picture, look at it, it's like they're trying to recreate stuff you can already do in like a .NET environment in C Sharp. And you get all these really cool right. features from it, which I got to give credit to, right? I mean, um, and I don't know, if it's just that web developers in general think it's harder to learn C sharp, or there's more of a stack there to learn, maybe. Um, I would I would ask those developers to just give it a shot because it's not really that bad. There's there's a lot right. there, but like actual C sharp as a language isn't the most difficult thing in the world, <laughs> right? So no, definitely not. And and I think the the two are they've got you know what do you call that? The they're emerging toward each other. Uh, JavaScript and C sharp, you know, so many feature, new features like async await yep. and, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff is, it's in both languages. And so you can just see it and say, oh, I know how that works. And yeah. they're both based on C syntax. So, you know, it's not really hard to read one or the other. Um, the other thing I, I really like about Blazor, again, you can tell my, my mindset is always about building full stack, being able to handle everything myself. I've never worked for a large company, you know, <laughs> I've never had a, a giant team where I could just say, well, I'm going to work on this tiny little piece. Um, and the so the other thing with Blazor is you can actually use it now with uh, .NET MAUI and create UIs that then are running natively. Now it is a web UI, right? It is running in a web, what do they call that? Uh, a web view okay. on the device. But aside from the UI, all the code is running .NET native on whatever device you've got. So <laughs> it's not running with a, it's not running in WebAssembly. It's not running with a client server, you know, communication It's running just right there on the device. So that's you, know, deep. you, you still get all the performance of any other, anything like, it's similar to React Native in that sense. When I see stuff like that, I always think bad. I miss Silverlight in some ways because Silverlight was so cool. Mm -hmm. You just, I mean, all of your code, everything, server communication, your WSDL service, and all this stuff just built right in your Silverlight app. And you spin up in the web and you're just doing some really amazing stuff, right? I mean, it kind of bummer that it kind of died out. I get why. It was heavy. <laughs> it was a, a beast of a thing to do, but it did a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, I I know people complain a lot about Microsoft and because I switched careers, I got to miss a lot of that earlier stuff. But um, 
you know, I get why they're hesitant to jump onto the new Microsoft technology only for it to disappear again in a couple of years. Yeah. But I don't I don't think that's going to happen with Blazor. It seems like they're going all in on on that being their web solution. And it, it's really cool. I mean, the, the technology itself, the whole stack that Microsoft has for .NET isn't the .NET people think of from like a few years ago, right? It's like a whole right. new... Uh, stuff you're working with this is really cool it's not asp pages um stuff like that anymore uh it's a whole new beast which is really cool i, I think it's awesome i do a lot and i think there's a lot of i mean you have a whole bunch of cool tech behind it too because you've got the the dot net and then you've got direct access to like azure and all these different things you can do deploying to azure and stuff like that which is really neat yeah well and .NET runs on Linux now, which means it's completely Dockerized, yeah, uh, what containerizable, and uh, you know you can run it anywhere. We do apps in Azure for customers and in AWS, and I mean I have to learn the difference in the portal, but once I set up my scripts to push up the new version. There's no difference to me. It's just a Docker container. <laughs> and I just push that, it where that's really fun because. I work pretty much almost on my machine at my home machine is pretty much, it's just Linux. It, it's a dual boot for windows, but I barely use windows at all anymore. Maybe if I spin up a game and then my work machine is a MacBook. So having be able to just use.net like the command line anywhere I want is kind of yeah. cool. So I've been able to play with some stuff here and there to get some things working. I do have to say the, the Linux.net one was kind of buggy for me up until a few months ago. I don't know why. I think just my Ubuntu, was jacked up or something but now it's it's all smooth it's pretty cool yeah I, I remember seeing some announcements about how they were working with is it canonical that yeah creates ubuntu and and to get it kind of in the box and <laughs> not not so much of a add-on after the fact and then you have to worry about things you know not being set up right and not needing visual studio to do like .NET stuff is very cool because Visual Studio is a great ID. It's a great ID if you're doing C Sharp, .NET and everything. I can't uh, you know, knock it for that. It does have its quirks and bugs. And if you know them, you can work around them. But it is a beast of an ID to work with. Like if you if you don't only need it for one thing, it's kind of a lot to ask for someone to do. So be able to have the ability to spin a Visual Studio code or Vim or I guess it probably works with Emacs too. I don't know, but any other editor other than Visual yeah. Studio is great. Well, and my favorite is JetBrains Writer. Uh, I actually do work mostly on Windows, um, but I use JetBrains Writer, which is cross-platform and available oh, okay. on Linux. Um, I use that probably 90% of the time and just fall back to Visual Studio, you know, in that 10% where you know, maybe there's a new feature out that uh -huh. JetBrains hasn't quite caught up with or, <laughs> you know, or there's just a bug that I can't figure out and it's handy to have a second IDE to go and look that at too. the same thing. That too, I got to admit, sometimes I like, I am pretty much a 95% Vim user, but there are definitely times where I'm using it and I'm, I can't track something down. I have to do is open up some other ID and for whatever reason, the language server there or the tools there are just easier for me to, find what I need to find, right? Whether it's debugging or something else like that, which is great. <laughs> I love having the choices, right? Options are wonderful. Oh yeah, definitely. So like you say you got into uh, from music teacher to developer, but you're in a 
a niche space as myself, which is geospatial development, working with mapping data. Was that a conscious choice or just kind of where you landed and you had to pick it up? No, it really was uh, the latter. It was, <laughs> I was invited to join Dimaptic. I mean, I interviewed obviously, but uh, they hired me on and said, well, we know you've got the .NET skills and the you know developer skills. Now you need to pick up GIS and you need to understand how this works <laughs> because this is what we do with our customers. So yeah, I mean, I'm kind of content agnostic in the sense that uh -huh. I love to learn different things and it doesn't really matter what I'm, I, I love to learn about mapping and, you know, geospatial, but if I got a different job, I would probably love to learn about that too. <laughs> um, you know, so it definitely, it's been a lot to learn over the past year or so. Uh, and I'm sure there are still things that I'm missing out on, but luckily I have a whole, you know, small company behind me that I can turn to and say, okay, what are they talking about here? <laughs> so I have What's to the difference ask, between a feature and a graphic or. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. I have to ask what has been some of the more challenging bits of trying to um, wrap the, it's, the name is now ArcGIS Maps SDK for JavaScript. And I, I keep mess, messing it up. I will continue yeah, to call you. it JSAPI here and there, but what was the most challenging thing of working with it with Blazor and stuff? I'm sure not being 100% familiar with it as just a tech stack from the beginning, what were some of the challenges you saw uh, that, integrating yeah. it? Yeah, learning the whole ArcGIS, which, by the way, is a gigantic you know scope of, <laughs> of work, and GeoBlazor does not even come close to wrapping the entirety of ArcGIS. Um, yet anyways maybe we'll get there someday <laughs> um but learning that the content of that was a big part understanding how people use it i think was a big part okay my first the first iteration of geoblazer was very much um create a static map and show it but i soon learned from my colleagues and from people who started using geoblazer that, well, wait a second, we want to be able to update those graphics. We want to be able to <laughs> do some sort of real-time tracking or you know, whatever it is. And now, okay, now I need two-way communication between the JavaScript yeah. and the C-sharp, right? I, I can't just get away with one way and tell the JavaScript, do this, and then I, I don't know what's happening after that. Um, so that was a big part. Uh, it's funny, you know, I was talking earlier about using blazers so that you don't have to use javascript but the joke about that is if you write a wrapper library like this you're writing a lot of javascript because so i, I have gotta, to sorry yeah, i gotta ask about that because i don't know most javascript libraries have like an event system where they're going to dispatch events out and i'm guessing in net there's a way to listen for events coming from your javascript right mm -hmm. no the api though um most of that um, work is done via property watching, right? Like it's all reactive stuff. So are you having to dispatch custom events while watching properties or is there a way to watch, have C-sharp pick up that reactivity in the API? That That's a really good question. And let me just add one more piece onto it before I answer it, which is 
the one limitation with Blazor and the JavaScript interop is it's only asynchronous calls. Okay. So there's no synchronous calls at all. And what that means is if I want something to show up as a property in C sharp, at some point I have to do an asynchronous syn syncing between okay. the two. Um, and so it's it's something we're still struggling with. It's something we're still, you know, trying to come up with the best solution for. But we do things like after the map is rendered, pull all the data back and okay. update the C sharp, you know, so that there you know when you hit and there are event listeners. Um the kind of key ingredient that you use here is just called a there's a JavaScript object reference and a .NET object reference. And so you can call .NET by invoking a method on a .NET object reference. And you can call JavaScript by invoking a function oh, or a method okay, okay. on on a JavaScript reference. So you're kind of using those two asynchronous calls to keep data in line. And like I said, one thing I do is I refresh after the map is rendered. But then if other things happen, you know, I have to listen for those events. If it's a user interaction event, I have to listen for that, update the, say, the extent of the map on the back end so that it, it stays in sync. Uh, if it's a click event or something like that, I do actually expose event listeners to the customers in GeoBlazor okay. so they can listen for click events. They can listen for, um, you know, whatever other event. Um, but it's definitely a challenge getting that one-to-one -one with properties and figuring out, okay, is there a way I can keep this in sync or do I have to force our users to call an async like getter and say, get property and then I know I've got the updated version. In a few places we do that, like if the graphics are changing somehow by maybe, I don't know what it would be, but something that you're not already listening for the event, then you want to call get geometry because just looking at the geometry directly is probably not in sync. Okay. Yes, yeah, it's really cool. I, I do watch the GitHub repo, so I see that there's a lot of activity of things going in. Like during the week, I'll see a few PRs go in and just uh, update stuff. So there is a lot of really cool things going here. And you have some really, I'm looking at it now, you've got some really cool samples here. You have a Maui sample, the server sample, and you have a WASM sample, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. I hadn't looked at the WASM one. And that's, we've gotten questions quite a bit about that how to, um, because of Razor, Blazor and um, WASM and stuff and how that would work. So that's really cool to see this here. This one I definitely got to check out because I'm curious how this all works. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I'm kind of a big proponent too is the way that that's structured, you know, regardless of GIS data, um, is having a shared pages library of, or pages and components in Blazor and then saying, okay, now get a WASM executable, get a server side executable, get a MAUI executable. And they all use the same set of pages and the same set of components. Uh, so that way, you know, when when you're debugging, there's nothing better than Blazor Server <laughs> because it, you know, it's got the full like server side, uh, 
.NET running natively on your machine. And I don't know, it just works better. <laughs> the hot reload and all of those things that, that are features of .NET seem to work better there. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but then to go and, okay, now I want to test this same code and deploy it as a WASM app on, on a client. And, you know, then your test window is a lot smaller because you could just switch over to the other executable and make sure nothing's broken. That is neat. There's some really cool stuff here. I'm, I'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes too, of people, because I think there's some really awesome uh, resources here for people. So, okay. So Tim, I want to be respectful for your time. I know we had a like half hour um, aside for this, but before I let you go, I want to ask if you have any tips or tricks for listeners. It doesn't even have to be dev related at all. Anything you want to throw out there for people. Okay, so here's something I am really getting into. I know I kind of ran into you and, and quote unquote met you on Twitter a few <laughs> months back. But as I'm sure you're aware, Twitter has been a very uh, strange experience over the past year, <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. And I am really getting into Mastodon. And okay. I'm, uh, there's a lot of developers on there. There's actually a really strong programming community on there. It does take a little getting used to. So I guess my tip would be if you try it, follow hashtags, you know, okay. follow .NET, follow JavaScript, follow software development, whatever it is, um, because you're going to see a lot more that way than trying to find people. And yeah, you can copy your list from Twitter or from wherever <laughs> else you've got it. But if you try out Mastodon, definitely the first thing you want to do is follow a bunch of hashtags because then you'll see a lot of great. Is there a know, specific uh, server you'd recommend? Um, I would recommend avoiding the big ones like okay. Mastodon.social. That's where, that's where they, I created my initial. Well, my, I created mine like way, like when it first announced, that's where it was. So when I tried to log in, it like directed me back to that main one. Mm -hmm. And I, I still, just like you said, I haven't, added all my hashtags in. I, I have just a difficult time navigating or finding stuff is my main right. issue. I guess I'm spoiled by the for you part of Twitter. I know people hate it, but yeah. I must be dumb luck enough where it's not just littered with nonsense. It's mostly things that I am interested in. So I, I'm spoiled by that. So I know with using Mastodon, it's more of like you need to curate your stuff better. So that yeah. I, I think that's where I need to improve on there. Yeah. Uh, so two things about choosing a server. One, the one I use is Fostedon. Okay. Uh, so it's mostly uh, free and open source software people. And since our GeoBlazer core is open source, I thought, eh, I'll try that out. And, uh, you know, I do use a lot of not open source software as well. <laughs> so uh Hopefully they won't kick me out, but it, it seems to be a good server. Um, I've seen there is a .NET.social. Uh, I bet there's something like that for JavaScript developers out there. Um, there's one for, oh, there's one called Hackyderm that's Peter, pretty popular yeah. with tech people, especially with like uh, uh, DevSec people, security specialists. Um, yeah, all of them are, you know, plays on Pachyderm or... Okay. So or Mastodon or something like that. Um, but the other thing I would say about that is once you pick one, you're not stuck to it. You can actually export all of your followers and 
and followees <laughs> and move to a different server. So if you get on there and you see this other server that has all this action and you think, oh, I should be over there, you can do that. You can just pick up and move. Okay. I, I, I think I'm definitely going to give that a shot. And I, like you said, I recommend other people to try that too. All right. Awesome, Tim. I really appreciate it. I thank you very much for your time. This was a lot of fun. And uh, are you going to be at Dev Summit this March? I will be. You will be? Yes. Okay. I'll be there all yeah. week then. I'll see you there. Look for me. I'll be around. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to. It was uh, nice to meet you face to face. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll see you in yeah. person soon enough. Thank you for listening to The Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.